TED Audio Collective. Usually stories about companies start at the beginning. You learn about the founders. You hear their origin story. Well, not today. Today, we're starting at the end. With a woman who founded a successful company and who has now decided to conclude, cease, kill her company. I've known for a few years now that it was time to go, but didn't quite know how to do it. Grace Bonney is the founder of Design Sponge. If you don't know it, Design Sponge is a website that can make your heart flutter over a clawfoot bathtub with just the right accent wall behind it. But it's much more than that. Grace and Design Sponge have been hugely influential on the design world and lifestyle media in general. And, well, much to many people's shock and surprise, Grace has decided to close up shop. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and this is ZigZag, a podcast about the culture of business and what needs to change. We live in a society, at least here in the United States, that is profoundly uncomfortable with ending anything. We avoid talking about death as much as possible. Friendships limp along for years on Facebook when really we should just stop being in touch. And companies? How do they end? Well, usually we assume the founder sold it or they went bankrupt or there's kind of a bullshitty corporate term for bringing something to a close. Sunset as a verb, as in we've iterated enough times to know it's time to sunset this project or one way to save some money would be to sunset our pension plan. But for Grace Bonney, it's not like that. She is sunsetting in the old-school sense of the word, like in a Western, when the cowboy rides off into the sunset at the end of the movie. Grace's work is done here, and now it's time to move on. She explains why it's time to wrap up Design Sponge, what it means for her employees, her career, plus a lot of other things, like why the intense focus on her professional life kept her from coming out until the age of 30, Grace drops a lot of knowledge on this episode and explains a lot of stuff she's still really unsure about. Our conversation touched on so many things that I am thinking about these days, and from what I've been reading in the inbox, you are too. So let's do it. After a quick break, stay with us. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. We're back. It's zigzag. My name is Grace Bonney. I am the founder of Design Sponge and Good Company Magazine, and I am sitting at my wife Julia's desk in our house on the Hudson Valley. 
Yeah, as I mentioned, Grace Bonnie is a bit of a legend in the design world. Design Sponge is one of the original interior design blogs. It's had a huge influence on what we think good taste is. I certainly have looked at it countless times over the years. Every time we've moved and I've been flummoxed about how to make an awkward-sized living room look amazing. I just went on the site and there's this post about a couple in England who decided to paint their floors and walls black. You'd think it would be depressing, but it's really not. And they have this awesome velvet mustard couch that just pops. Anyway, Design Sponge is super cool. But on August 30th, 2019, its 15th anniversary, Grace is going to shut it down. And when she announced her plans, a lot of her fans and people in the design world were really sad. And actually, Grace was too. I felt a mix of feelings, and I think that's kind of what a good ending is. If you're honest with yourself, there's kind of a mix of sadness and excitement and the unknown. And that's kind of what I was hoping for, was that people could kind of join us in this moment of reliving some of our best moments, some of our not-so-great moments, and just kind of be present in all of those very complicated feelings. So that's kind of where I think we all are. I think all of us have moments where we're like a little teary some days, and then some days we're excited about what will come next for all of us. And we're just kind of trying to sit in the unknown right now. And We all kind of had a gut feeling that it was time to move on. We just didn't know what was coming next. So, yeah, we're we're in a complicated place. (laughs) Design Sponge has been like the go-to for people who care about interior design for the last 15 years. And for people who are familiar, they must be like, wait a minute, why are you guys shutting down? What is the problem? You are the success (laughs) stories. Can you just explain, like, was it just that you were over it or was it because it wasn't working anymore? It's, I mean, yes and no. I felt like the way that the blog world has moved and evolved and the way the ad market, which is what most of us rely on, has changed and evolved to be an advertiser's market and most definitely not a publisher's market. That, like the work that would have to be done to keep us all afloat, and I mean, and not even like in a great way, like just in a way to keep staying afloat, we would have to sell out to a degree that just did not feel comfortable to me. And I think it would be different if we were all in our 20s and we're still okay with like pulling constant all-nighters and having to make our personal lives Mm. like 90% of what we post and having to like become a human-sponsored product. And that to me is just not how I started. And even though I'm not that old, I also am not that young. And I remember when publishing was publishing Mm. and that subscription prices or, you know, just regular advertising or other simpler forms of funding allowed the content to kind of be its own world. And now the worlds of advertising and content are so enmeshed that I don't find it comfortable to produce content in the way that we have to right now in order to pay our bills and and most importantly to pay our team. And that's always been my biggest thing was when it gets to a point where I have to ask my team members to also do their own sponsored content to kind of keep things going. Right. It just doesn't feel right. And none of us got into this to make a ton of money, but we always did this because there was enough flexibility around the profitable side of the business that we could write what we wanted to, when we wanted to, and the kind of lack of huge income was compensated for by how much free time and flexibility and openness there was to this publishing, but that doesn't really exist in the same way. And I used to feel really angry about that, Uh. but I, I don't anymore. I just, I know that that's how these things evolve. And 
when we started, I had tons of people from traditional publishing come and essentially yell at me and kind of say, you are the reason that we can't write these long articles anymore. And I used huh. to feel so defensive <laughs> about that. But but they weren't wrong. In hindsight, you know, blogs were kind of the first indicator of a movement of shorter attention spans and people getting content in different ways. And in the same way that I think the blog world did have an effect on print publishing, I think social media has had the same effect on blogs. And so people don't go to one place to get to their news anymore. And if they do, it tends to be like, like massive venture capital sites, which are their own beast. It's just that's not something I've ever been interested in. And at the end of the day, the way the market is moving, I either have to get VC backing or just become like a human shill. And I, I can't do it. It's just, it's not worth it for me. I want to get into that in a minute, but I just want to ask, is selling Design Sponge not an option because you are so integral to the brand? Like, you can't be like, here's my company. Let's sell it to, I don't know, like Crate and Barrel or something. <laughs> is that not possible? Anything's possible, but I don't want to. I think since day one, I've never wanted to. I think it's because I didn't start this site as an end goal. Like, I started this site as a way to possibly one day use it as an online portfolio to apply for a job at a magazine because I had no journalism experience. <laughs> and I wanted to write for a magazine. And I thought, well, maybe after a few years of keeping this, like, funny little side thing going, because I, I had a regular job, I was like, maybe I can turn this in since I don't have my professional writing samples. And this ended up becoming the magazine that I ended up wanting to work for. I think if I had planned it since day one as I'm going to grow this, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to do that, my life would be very different. And there are plenty of bloggers who've taken that path who are much more financially comfortable than I am. But I'm really proud of the fact that we stayed really small and we're still able to pay people and have benefits and salaries and stay stable in a market that has seen some wild ups and downs. And I've seen like entire companies come and go in like half our lifespan that seemed at the time like they would be way larger. And so I think we've remained independent because it's allowed us to talk about things that were important to us. And so I think because of that, I could never sell to a huge corporation that would essentially have to water down Design Sponge because to make something larger at this point, you have to move towards celebrity content. That's just like a given these days. And you have to kind of tone down some of the very pointed conversation that we've had about race and class and mm. these bigger issues that are underneath design. And we've been able to do that because we don't have sponsors kind of looming over us telling us what we can write about. And that's what happens when you start having venture money or huge sponsors that cover like, you know, the majority of your income for a year. And you know, none of us make enough money to make that sort of sacrifice. It has been this beautiful art project for me. And I would rather kind of leave at the height of the party <laughs> than, than stay where, you know, when I, by the time I leave, the site is like unrecognizable to me. Can we just take a moment to do that, to celebrate the fact that you survived for 15 years and continuously <laughs> made something that you felt really proud and fulfilled and and as a person who consumed that stuff, I want to say thank you. Thank you. I, I truly appreciate it. It's I, I've been through a lot of kind of emotional ups and downs with with this announcement. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, you are making a huge mistake by not selling the site or you ma you're making a huge mistake by not like taking venture money or just all the different options that are valid options on the table, but I'm not interested in. Hmm. And I think when you are someone who makes a decision because of what feels right in your gut, that that's a difficult thing for a lot of people to sit around because if that's not how they would make a decision, 
it starts to kind of ricochet back and then they will ask questions like, well, why am I not thinking that way? And what does this mean if I do want to sell? And I've had some really interesting and very complex conversations with kind of my blogging contemporaries who feel a little unsettled by this discussion because, you know, I, I, I probably am. Yeah. I, I mean, I probably am leaving some money on the table, but that I mean, that's never been the point. And I just, at no point have any of us ever had salaries that were so large that we could like picture a future where we would ever consider making decisions that weren't just based on passion. And so I think when it became a little bit less fun to produce the type of content that we have to produce, like in the early days, we could produce like one sponsored post a week. And that would, you know, one a week would float us just totally fine and comfortably. And at this point, we'd probably have to do multiple a day, which works if you have a team of like 40 people and you can devote five of those people to just making sponsored content. But we've never had enough money to do a team that size. And I've hmm. always preferred to have a smaller team where we're in like really regular communication and have flexibility. So I just think the model that we set up has always been about trying to maintain the closest thing to integrity that we can. And I just, it feels right to leave this way, but you don't see a lot of people discussing no, how it don't. feels to leave something for that reason. Well, we live in this culture of barreling forward, forward, forward. And we also live in a culture where nothing ends. Like, you know, yeah. you, you know, the people from high school still on Facebook. Like it used to be that the relationship kind of ended in that phase of your life. You move on. Right. But now it's like no one seems very comfortable with goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I, I think that it's interesting because in certain fields, I think we accept and expect reinvention. And I mean, I've had friends of mine who I don't think I would ever consider only thought of me as the person behind my job. But I've had a lot of friends say like, well, who are you without Design Sponge? And wow. I was like, wow. wow, really? <laughs> like, but, you know, it's interesting. I think whenever you make a big move in life, it, it has that kind of reverberation through your friend group or the people who are closest to you. And I saw this when I went through a divorce, when I came out and I got remarried. And I've, I've been through some big life moments. And I've watched people kind of ebb and flow away from me in those moments because I think that they can be unsettling for people who are not in that place. But when someone does something big, it makes you kind of ask yourself the same questions. Yeah. Like, should I be married? Should I be divorced? Should I be having children? Like whatever these big, big, big life questions are, when one of them happens, it kind of reverberates through a group. And so I've kind of watched that same thing happen with this decision. And I'm used to it now, so it doesn't bother me. I know exactly what you're talking about. When I quit my job at Public Radio a year ago, I went through a period of feeling panicky. I almost felt like mm -hmm. I was swimming in a lake and I couldn't see the sides. Mm. I know that feeling. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like I felt very unmoored. And so the way you're talking about these big changes where people are like, well, who are you if you don't have design sponge? I was like, who am I if I'm not a public radio host? Yes. How did you get yourself through those sort of I mean, they're identity crises, right? Yeah. And I don't know that I'm through it. Mm. I don't know that if anyone's ever fully through anything so much as you're just kind of slowly answering one small question at a time. But I think the fact that both Julia and I lost one of our good friends earlier this year who was 90, and I think she had become a really important part of our lives in a way that I didn't quite realize until the end because she had absolutely no idea what I did as a job and she didn't really care. <laughs> and she just liked both of us for us and for the fact that we like – 
would hang out and talk about plants and we volunteered at the same place and, you know, we wanted to learn about her life when she was younger. And I think I forgot what it was to have friends that I didn't know through work. Mm. And I'm so happy that I made so many real legitimate friends through work, but I also just forgot how to be a friend outside of that world of like entrepreneurs and influencers and all the people for whom your work life identity is kind of one solid thing. And remembering that to this one person, everything I did at work, not only did she not even know about it, she just really didn't care. (laughs) I'm grateful for the people I work with who I know I will still remain like family with. And some of them I won't. And that's totally okay. But I'm just at a place in my life now where I want things that feel more real and more tangible. And the internet is a really hard place to find those things. Yeah. One thing that really impresses me is that you seem, and we've been asking our listeners about this, and it's something I think about a lot, and Jen, my co-founder too, is like this idea of what the metrics for success are. And you found Mm. success on the internet during a period of crazy growth and Silicon Valley taken off and, you know, conversations about 100x returns and unicorns and all that stuff. And yet (laughs) you seem to have measured success for yourself Like, you seem to have a really good – I can't quite put my finger on what your metric was, but you seem to have a good grasp of, like, you knew it when you saw it. Or maybe you have a specific metric. I appreciate that. I take that as a compliment. But at the same time, I also think it's because I have not had so many of the traditional metrics of success in my community. So we've never had the numbers to compete with, like, huge network sites that have a lot of money. And at the same time, we've never made enough money to ever be considered like financially successful by even some of our more contemporary blogging colleagues because Mm. we've just never prioritized profit in the same way. And I was just talking with Julie about this the other day where there are moments where I think like, ah, had I been a different type of business owner, no better, no worse, just different, I I would have a lot more money right now. But at every point in the game, I took the profit and reinvested it in the business or reinvested it in an employee or helped an employee who needed help. And those are things that I've had colleagues tell me a billion times over were bad decisions. And But I thought taking the money and reinvesting them in the company was a longer term play to make more money for the company, right? To grow. Oh, yeah. I have constantly reinvested in people. I've always used extra money to hire a new writer, give a writer a raise, or to just do things that I felt were in support of the human beings that make this website possible. And I've seen many, many times over lots of different verticals or websites burst and then crash because they invest in hiring amazing people. They hire a ton of them. And then as soon as the site fails to grow because of ridiculous estimates of a business's worth up front that are always crazy, then the first people they cut are the editorial team. And then they hire a billion ad people. And I've watched that boom and bust happen so many times. And I've always thought like, that's what happens when you get evaluated and then you get venture money and then they expect you to grow very quickly because of how much money they've given you. You can't point to why it's so important to pay your team more money and give them health insurance and make them feel secure as a way to keep them for a long time because those things don't directly correlate to a hit in traffic. It's not how it works. But I've also accepted that's just how media works now. And there's no use fighting it. Like, I think that's totally okay. Did you say no to money? Yeah, we've had people try to offer. We've had a, a site that became 
what I think is probably now one of the largest sites in the lifestyle community to try to buy us a long time ago. And I remember we had a very awkward lunch and <laughs> them kind of assuming I would say yes on the spot, like, oh, how could you not? And I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm not interested in that. Like, oh, I didn't know that's why you wanted to have lunch. And then <laughs> them just kind of all slack jawed being like, what do you mean you don't want money? And I was like, well, we're fine and we're profitable and we're all really happy and that's cool. But like, thanks, what are you guys up to? And it was just, you know, like a dead in the water <laughs> moment. That's hilarious. And, and for me, that was just, I think sometimes I've learned most about who I am by figuring out what I'm not first. Mm -hmm. And I think that I felt really guilty and ashamed of not being somebody who was so driven by profit for a long time. And then I just kind of woke up and was like, well, that's just, that's not how I run things. And I'm okay with that. In a minute, what Grace went through over the past few years, a divorce, coming out, and why she loves design and photography, but kind of hates Instagram. We'll be back right after a quick break. We're back. It's zigzag. Can we talk a little bit about Instagram? I mean, you are yeah. anyone who's in anything that is the slightest bit visual, even if you're not, because if you're a podcaster, you need to be there, too. Yeah. How do you balance the fact that it is owned by Facebook uh, and Mark Zuckerberg <sighs> and all the issues that I really have with it? But it's also like I look at your feed and it's beautiful and I'm glad it's there. But it annoys me that you don't own it. Yes, that is a very good point. I think about it all the time. I And I it's interesting because I saw a bunch of people like, you know, leave Facebook because of Mark Zuckerberg and privacy policies. And I was like, but you're still on Instagram. <laughs> like, it's the same thing. I feel like I've, you know, really kind of enmeshed with social media over the past few years for better and for worse. I've accepted that there are going to be very evil parts of this. And if there comes a day where I feel like all of the evil parts outweigh some of the amazing things that happen, I will absolutely just leave and not care anymore. And I think right now I've seen myself start to do that. And I've definitely started to spend significantly smaller amounts of time on social media. Like I've just not posted for days and days before. And I've had friends say like, you really need to catch up. You know, you can't go away for a few days. The algorithm's going to start pushing oh. you down. And and I get it. And they're not they're not wrong. But I just, at the same time, I'm like, for me right now, this doesn't feel real. And I am craving things that feel real. And I know that there are people for whom the social media is very real. Right. And there is the possibility for very real connection. But in my particular community, there tends to be this kind of performative living. And I guess across lots of communities, but particularly in lifestyle there's just so much performance right now. Well, sure, because we're looking at you in an aspirational way, right? Like, I don't really expect yes. my kitchen to look like that. But, like, show me what it could look like if I exactly. really, really got into it, you know? And that's great. Like, I don't want to deny anybody aspiration. And I also don't want to prescribe, like, I have the answer to what the perfect balance of real and aspiration is. Because I don't know. But I also know that we all know that this kind of performative living has a negative effect. We're all comparing ourselves to each other. Whenever you go to these like female empowerment <laughs> conferences, there's somebody talking about imposter syndrome and her hair is prettier right. than mine and her life is more perfect than mine. And we all know it, but then we all still create, and I, myself included, we all still do it. And like, we just, we're redoing our living room right now. And I was posting pictures and 
there was like one picture that was much funnier than others because it was kind of, you could see all the crap in the room that hadn't been put together. And I was like, I should really post this one because it's just far funnier. And then I just thought, well, this whole thing is sponsored. And if I post the one that's not the prettiest, <laughs> it's not going to get the best engagement. And then the sponsor is going to be really upset. Oh. And then you can't post two really similar pictures. I couldn't post like the funny one and then like the actual beauty shot the next day because they're so similar, they end up not doing well. And I hate that like that part of my brain knows what I should do. And then the part of my gut that's like, but this one feels more real is it's a constant battle. And even like these candid moments that do occasionally sneak in that we all love, they still end up being pretty highly produced and styled. And then I'm like, but it's a performative vulnerability that is, you know, it's complicated. A performative vulnerability. Ooh, I like that phrase. That's good. What if vulnerability doesn't scale? Period. I don't know that it does. Right? <laughs> I mean, I think you're speaking to what sounds like the reason why you liked keeping it small, because keeping it small kept it real, and that kept you motivated. Yeah, I'm not motivated by scale. Like, the larger an audience gets, the harder it is to find a person in the audience to look at huh. <laughs> and to try to yeah. connect with. And I think people like Brene Brown have been able to do it in a in a really lovely, large mm -hmm. way. And I think some people are good at that. And it's why I'm constantly trying to like bring myself back out of judgment because it's so easy for me to be like, oh, <laughs> that's impossible. And then I'm like, nope, there are some people for whom that's actually super doable. And so I try to kind of just bring the circle back around and I'm like, okay, this is a thing that you don't feel comfortable doing and that's okay. And this is a thing huh. they do feel comfortable doing and that's okay. And I had so many issues with my own community that I then realized, okay, I think maybe it's just time for you to leave <laughs> rather than being upset with everything. Like maybe just accept that you don't feel comfortable in this community right. anymore. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the community. It's just, it's time for something different for you. Everything has been turned into the dreaded word <laughs> content. And I just, I don't want to do it anymore. So what are you going to do? I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. I I mean, I had all my friends who I haven't like spoken to in a bit who live in the city who were like, oh, okay, secretly, what are you doing? And I'm like, literally nothing. I, I do have a book contract that I'm working on, but I'm not making any money off of it because the production of the book is going to be quite expensive with a lot of travel. So I'm really good at coming up with projects that are fun, but don't make I'm any money. I'm good at that too. So I'm going to have to think of something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us are, which, you know, like in hindsight, I'm so damn lucky that I had 15 years to work at something that I really loved for like 99% of the time and was able to support myself, you know, fairly comfortably that way. And so I think I can handle a year or two where I'm like a little shaky and I would not be able to do that were I not in a two income household, which is a very privileged place to be. And so I don't want to make it seem like it's no big deal that I don't know what I'm doing right now. But I also know myself. And it took me a while to get to that place and a lot of therapy where I was kind of like, oh, I am somebody who doesn't like to be bored. I am somebody who likes to work really mm -hmm. hard. I will find another place to do that. And I need to like let go a mm -hmm. little bit and lean back and trust that even if I fall and the fall is hard, I know how to pick myself back up. I have picked myself up so many times over the past 15 years, professionally and personally. And I have to remember that I have those muscles and and just remember how to use them. And I think I'll find something. I just, I don't know if it will be 
anything related to what I'm have been doing. And, and I'm fully okay mm. with that. I, I really you am. You sound like you're in a really good place, like in terms of being open to what comes along. I I think I am. I don't know if it's a good place, but I do think that I am open. I'm working on a book with women that are only over the age of 50 right mm. now. And all of them have kind of reminded me like, oh, stay in this place right now of not knowing. It is like a very juicy place full of complicated life questions. And the second you know your answer that's next, all of that openness kind of mm-hmm. disappears. So just enjoy the openness. But it's hard because it's to me, it just feels like unknown. And that's a, a not super comfortable place for me. When you say that you've gone through a lot of personal stuff, I guess I have two questions. How did you run a business and make space in your life to deal with the personal stuff. And also, like, was there maybe one thing that you would be willing to share with the audience about what what was going on? Yeah. I mean, I think that I didn't make space for a very long time, which is why I don't think I confronted a lot of identity factors in my life until I was much, much older. And I think that's why I didn't come out until I was 30, because I think I created this very beautifully designed box for myself to Mm -hmm. live in of kind of what I thought I was supposed to do in my life and who I was supposed to be and what would make everybody else happy. And I think I really convinced myself that making other people happy would make me happy enough to maybe not do all the things I actually wanted to be doing or at least trying or seeing if those things made me happier. And so I think that I, I, my body just literally forced me to kind of like confront everything when I was 30 and just kind of turned itself inside mm-hmm. out. And I went through so many like illnesses and just moments that I, I truly believe were just my body being like, you need to get out. You're just living someone else's life. And that's a really uncomfortable and sad thing to go through because I hurt a lot of other people in the process of finding myself. And that is a very uncomfortable reality to live with is that you can like live your truth and figure out who you are, but also totally trample somebody else in the process. Right. And that is a very hard thing to own. You were in a relationship with a man at the time when you came out? Yes, I was married and had been with somebody for a very long time who was a very kind person and, you know, really gave me space to figure everything out in terms of, like, my sexuality and my gender identity and things that I just still don't have, like, a super firm grasp on but have a much better grasp on than I did when I was younger. And I think kind of, you know, I realized at that point that I had spent I mean, 90% of every day in the first probably eight or nine years of Design Sponge focusing entirely on the business and surrounding myself with people who did the same thing with their businesses. And, you know, not surprisingly, I was part of a small club of women who all went through divorces or all, <laughs> Sorry to a laugh. lot of people came out yeah, for very different reasons. No, it's true. And, and some of those people have, you know, to this day become my best friends because we all went through really different things for different reasons, but like huge life shifts at an age where I think we looked back and we're like, oh my God, when you become your own brand, which is what the industry thinks is the best thing you could possibly do, you do give up your personal Mm -hmm. life. And I've gotten to an age now where I realize, oh, all my friends have kids and I don't know if that's going to be a thing that happens for me anymore. And that's been a really difficult struggle. And I think that it's just one of those things that people don't 
talk yeah. about a lot online because these particular communities of like parents or divorcees or people who've come out, like it's just everyone gets really, it's like you jump out of one label to put yourself back in another label really quickly. And I'm more interested in kind of figuring out what these gray areas are like and what does it feel like to, you know, hold on to one identity a little bit, but also leave yourself open for other things. And I think particularly when it comes to parenting now and me almost being 40 and most of the people I know who don't have kids are very anti-kid <laughs> and that's totally cool and fine. And I'm super okay with that. And, but I'm not that. And I also am not like a thousand percent sure that I want to be a parent. And it makes people uncomfortable to not have a sure answer. And so I'm at this place now where I'm like, oh, all my friends have kind of are in a particular chapter that I don't know if I'm going to be a part of. And I just, I don't have any answers, but I just know that these are things that are complicated and that are easier to talk about in person with people. And the friends that I have who can sit with me and be okay with this not knowing and with the gray areas and with owning, you know, the feelings that are bad and good at the same time, I really want to find those friendships and do a better job of appreciating them because those will always last longer than a business. And for me, that's, I'm kind of figuring out now that that's really what I should have been focusing on the whole time. My entire community is like kind of skewed and scanned towards people in their 20s. And I just interested in hearing a different perspective right now because I think when you live through enough life and enough ups and downs you get a type of perspective you just you don't often get at that age and that's not to say that people in 20s haven't lived through a lot but I think there's a different type of perspective that comes with decades upon decades of life and I'm just interested in hearing that and I think especially right now as the world, and particularly in America, feels very scary. And so many of us feel like, what is happening? Are we going to be okay? Is the planet going to be okay? Are our rights going to be taken away? I want to hear from people who've lived through scary times like this and to see how they got through it and what gave them hope in those moments. And so I think all I want to do right now is enmesh myself in, in listening because, you know, I think I've heard my own voice for a long time. <laughs> It's enough. Enough of grace. I would love it. Will you come back and tell us what you learned in a year and where you are on your journey? I'd love to. Can I just say, like, so refreshing to hear someone say, I'm uncomfortable and I'm reveling in it and I'm curious. Like, it feels really good to have this conversation. I'm really grateful to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Wow, Grace Bonney, uh, Jen Poyant, my, <laughs> my co-founder. We were in a little audio recording booth at our co-working space. And um, you listened to this interview, I believe, in the truck. Yeah, I've got a Toyota Tacoma that I love. It's very old and rickety, but I love it. And I drive it into Gowanus. And you listen. Yep. And what do you think of um, me and Grace? So it brought up a lot of emotions for me that I didn't expect. It's interesting. You guys cover a lot of ground. <laughs> and, and I want to just note some of the themes that I picked up on. Okay. 
And some of them are just words I'm going to throw out that okay. I feel like we can just talk about. But the idea of performative vulnerability yeah, I like really that struck me. I like it, but it's also inter- – I mean, it's, like, interesting in the context of what we do on the show. I had, like – I was like, <laughs> That's uh, true. I didn't even think that? of that. Oh, my God. So right. I want to talk about that. Um, in general, a big theme about identity, mm-hmm. you know, and who you are if, if you are not what you do. Uh-huh. That's a big one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, of course, money – how you make money in the business. This is something we talk about constantly. And then for me, that is so tied up with motherhood. Right. Like I so respect her decisions. And I I so respect Grace Bonnie, her work and her legacy. But I I found myself bucking against some of the things that she was saying, partially because I'm a mom, I think. Like what? We care more about building a team and paying them well and doing passion projects, then we'd care about making huge amounts of money. But I've always said, I want to make money yeah. on the show. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because, like, you know, and I haven't talked about this publicly, but and if I talked about it a little bit, I didn't have a lot of savings when we started. And, like, the legacy of maybe a sense of scarcity in my family when it comes to money. Like, I grew up in, like, a fairly middle-class neighborhood outside of D.C., but... My grandfather, who just passed away recently, he worked his butt off, and he was a working-class guy, and he saved and saved and saved and saved and saved to the point where it became his entire identity. And so I think I'm working through, like, this idea of how much money do we need to make Mm -hmm. throughout the course of this business for me to be able to retire, for you to be able to retire, for us to be able to take care of our families. And we don't have kids it's, it's totally a totally different, different ballgame. Right. And I'm not trying to judge Grace at all. I totally understand what she's saying, but I think she had a, a little bit of a luxury to be like, I don't care about the money. It's fine. But I found myself feeling guilty that, oh, no, no, I want us to sell this business one day or I want us to find a way to keep it sustainable so we can retire one day one way or another, whether we work for 20 years together. But like the money – matters to me. It doesn't have to be millions of dollars. I just think she's been an entrepreneur for so long. Yes. Yeah. Like she did it from the there's the hand dryers by the way, um, that you can hear in the background. She's she's tired. Yeah. Obviously. Oh, I, yes. So tired. And I think she's probably gotten used to something that I feel like I am not used to, which is that there is no job security and being right. an entrepreneur and it's probably just and like in media even in right? media especially right now but like for her that's all she's known in some ways yeah. and I think also she knows she's really good at it so there is some sort of confidence there absolutely and I found myself thrilled by that I may sound like I'm judging her but I'm, what I'm doing is actually saying she's right she followed her instincts and she finished a thing and she's okay with it and mm-hmm. that's incredible and she has the confidence to know that she'll be fine so what i'm trying to say is like this is my problem Mm. like my own issue of oh maybe i'm looking at the wrong way even with stable genius maybe i don't know i think that sometimes too but then i'm like speak to any financial advisor and they're like well no you should yes you will be (laughs) fine but shit happens and so you should have you know our accountant is like what do you feel comfortable with what's your cushion right six months a year like yes let's be confident but also let's be realists right and you guys didn't i mean understandably you didn't get into like she said she had she's been able to like operate a team yeah pay them well yep with insurance 
and then live a comfortable life. I don't know. I mean, that's so relative. It's such a relative conversation <laughs> right. of like what that means in New York or upstate New York or whatever. Yeah. So, But location does matter. I'm realizing – I don't know why this is a surprise to me, but like we're looking at moving our office. Mm-hmm. I get a stomach ache when I look at what our new rent is going to be, but we need it. We need to build a studio. And then I keep thinking like, wow, if we lived in Detroit or Pittsburgh or mm-hmm. any other really nice cities that are doing really well, we would pay nothing yeah. for a space like this. Right. And just the amount of pressure it puts on us to perform, to grow, to succeed, quote unquote, right. simply to cover the bills. Right. It's real. And all of that takes capital, right? Paying people well takes capital. Yeah. Moving into a reasonable space where we can have access to a studio to do this work and f- so you can track all the three shows you're hosting. Yeah. <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. You get back to the conversation you guys had about business models and how much the sponsorship uh, mm-hmm. game changed for her. Yeah. And that conversation really reflected back a lot of my own concerns mm-hmm. about running a business or being a mom or trying to make it all work and then thinking – it made me think like how long can we do this for? 15 years is like pretty fucking awesome run. Can I just say one thing though, which is that 15 years if between the ages of 25 and 40 is going to be different for me, which would be 15 years between the ages of 45 and 60. Right. And um, her talking about wanting the wisdom of older women, I was kind of like, oh, I'm going to be one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Like, not that long from now, which seems kind of shocking. Um, Shouldn't be. Been around long enough that I should have known it was coming. Um, But that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it is a good thing. My thing that I keep saying to myself is, like, get over yourself. Stop questioning whether you know what you're doing. You do. You've been doing this for a long time. Just stop. Get yeah. over yourself. Yeah. It's like not cute to be self-doubting when well, you're over a certain I, age. Okay, I I'm like, also going to say know. give yourself a break. But it's a normal feeling when you're starting something new and yeah. momentous and challenging. So when you're like, get over yourself, you just took a big step in the past year. It's like a new step. So you're learning still. You're yeah. challenging yourself still. Oh, yeah. you can. I think you can hear it in our voices in the first season of ZigZag. We're a little bit... Performative vulnerability, perhaps? No, no, no. I don't think it was performative at all. I felt raw and real and like... That was the question for me when I was listening. I was like, good Lord. I know our fans feel they often say that they appreciate our vulnerability and that we're being real, but it was like a gut check of like, are we doing that? Like, I don't ever want to perform vulnerability. I want to be vulnerable so people can appreciate what the experience is like. We won't get into like media theory, but there are some who would say there's no possibility of turning on a microphone and not being performative with your vulnerability. That's true. All right. Should we end with a joke? This is a very heavy episode. I'm going to perform some crassness to bring out the show. Mm -hmm. I told Jen that I'm worried that I'm turning into Michael from The Office. (laughs) And I think that all this talk about like Me Too and stuff is actually making like for like my id is being on fire or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, I was in this – I was <laughs> giving a talk and I was in the green room. There were a bunch of people like professional people, real people in there. And the woman came in to bring to her colleague a coffee from Starbucks. She's like, I didn't know what to get you to her colleague. So I got you a blonde on blonde. And little old me sitting in the corner looks up from her laptop and goes – Blonde on blonde, that sounds more exciting than coffee. Like, who do I think I am? If a dude had said that, that would have been, like, extremely 
inappropriate, but it was this little woman in the corner, <laughs> like who like appeared from the borscht belt or something. <laughs> like, what the hell is my problem? Did you apologize? No, because the dumb the that's what I think it's my id because I was like, why is that more interesting than coffee? Because I love coffee, and then I was like, oh, it's sexual. <laughs> Like you didn't know I you didn't made a funny know, sex because I knew it was fu- – I don't know what I thought. Let's say goodbye now, shall we? Wait. I got to find my script here. Oh. Wait. What? We can't just – we have to – Why? I don't know because – We've said enough. No, I just want to make sure we wrapped that up. Like you're told that story and it's like why do we tell that story? Because it was so heavy and I felt uncomfortable about talking about performing vulnerability and then I felt like I was performing vulnerability so I feel, felt like I need to close <laughs> it with a shtick. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> done and done. Uh, thank you for all your emails and voice memos, listeners. You – our inbox is blowing up right now. Wait. Can I say is, one more thing? What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just want to wrap this Grace we'll Bonnie thing up. We'll say it in up. the mic I if you're going to say Grace it. Bonnie. Go ahead. The thing that I came away with from that interview. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> I don't know. Go ahead. She made me ask what the purpose of owning a business is. Oh, that is actually a very big question. Okay. Because in a weird way, it was like she was like, it's, I was thinking about this on the way over, and I was like, it's not, to, it's not necessarily to make a ton of money. No. Definitely seems like passion is a part of it, like passion <laughs> yeah, projects. Um, it's freedom, dude. And freedom. But in this interview, it seemed to be more an exploration of her identity. Ah. And I don't know if men, when they start, I could be wrong, men tell me, but when you guys start businesses, like, is that even a thing? Like, it's uh-huh. such an interesting conversation, and I can identify with that. And it's You I've identify never, with it yeah. being about identity. Very funny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I can relate to it. Okay. Because I think that is part of what we're doing. I think we're exploring what it means to... To take each step forward and do the zigs and do the zags. And, like, what does that mean for us as mothers? What does that mean for us as mm. women? And I've never seen anybody describe it like that. I like that. I think that is actually a very good question for the men or anyone, really. Yeah. Are you? Do you think that you're – what's the question? What Are is you, the purpose of a business? Yeah, what is the purpose – I mean, to pay the bills. Let's just – that's obvious. Yeah. But what is the purpose of a business for you in your life? I think it comes back to the original question that we're trying to ask, which is like measuring of success. Right. But it is a little different. What is the purpose of your business for you? Right, for you. Sometimes it's to plug a hole in a market or to sell a product. Can we make it bigger than that? And sure. also say for if you don't, because if you don't own your business, what is the purpose of the job for you? Is it, yes. yes, it's to pay the bills, but is it because you like, I heard some woman say, like, I just really, she likes being in an office. She likes being around people. Like, yeah. for her, it's about the socialization of it. I don't know. Yeah, there's comfort in that. If I you have a, there is. If you're in a good office, there's a lot of, it feels like a second family often. Yeah. Wait, I should tell people, if you'd like to respond to that, what is the purpose of work or your business for you? Set aside the paying of the bills. Yes, it needs to be done. But other than that, please record a voice memo or write an email to zigzag at stableg.com. 
I want to tell them about the newsletter because I'm really working hard on it. I wrote this for you. Meanwhile, keep up to date with all the stuff we're doing here at Stable Genius Productions with our bi-weekly newsletter. I don't want to overload you. I don't want to overload myself either. So now it comes out every other Thursday. Please sign up at StableG.com. We're thinking of it as a guide to living well with your tech and thinking like an ethical entrepreneur or employee. I write it myself. It gets personal. Hopefully not too performative. It's beautiful. Thanks, honey. (laughs) Why'd I call you honey? I'm telling you. This episode was produced by me and Jen Poyant. Matt Point is our audio engineer and sound designer. David Herman is our composer. Maria Wordle is our production coordinator. Many thanks to Anya Zizik and Dan Dezula, too. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm in your summer Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> there. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>